Hello, I'm Carrick MacDonald and this is Halfway to Borough, the Two Towns local history show on Cam Glen Radio. This is the fourth in a series of programmes about Rutherglen in the 1950s. In the first three programmes, David Jackson talked about how little life changed for many people in the town between the 1930s and the 1950s and how it became a different world between the 1950s and now. He described types of people and things and events that were commonplace then and that you never see now. Yeah, and we're yeah. talking about Rutherglen. Aye, uh-huh. This is the great thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh-huh. I'm a keen Rutherglen historian and mm. this is Rutherglen we're sure. talking about, you yeah, know. Sure. David begins this programme by talking about pens. Back in the 1950s, another novelty of my childhood and youth was the amount of pens that were still to be seen in two, three or four storey tenement buildings, especially in the King Street area or the north side of King Street. So the pens are, what are they, enclosures of some kind? Pend is a, is a, a space in the building bigger than a close that you could take a horse and cart through or you could take a car through. Mm. And they had cushy stones on the ground. And they had, they always had, where you got a pen, you always get a shield at either side. Mm. If you ever saw these or can remember back, we steal shields sitting on either side Aye. where if, if, if the cart's wheel bumped, it didn't, if it bumped the shield, it didn't break the wall. Yes. You'll see them if you look out for them, you know, in places that still have pens. So P-E-N-D? It's spelled P-E-N-D, and I certainly never knew that as a boy. I just (laughs) called it, everybody called it the pen, through the pen, but it's actually spelled P-E-N-D. My own father, Tommy Jackson, spent his childhood in a little house behind the pen at 123 King Street. I can't tell you that I know the name of that, and by the 1950s, it had gone. But I remember the model lodging house pen at 129 King Street because the lodging house was still there up until 1956. And just up from that, hardly 50 yards, was Walker's pen at 157 King Street. And only 20 yards from that was Maxfield's pen at 165 King Street. My grandfather Jackson, an old bricky, his older sister Jenny married James Maxwell, who owned that building, and they were married in 1901. But it was his grandfather that built that building back in the 1850s or early 60s. Again, on the same north side of King Street were two other pens nearer the east end of King Street, one at 209 King Street, which unfortunately I don't know the name of, and then there was McConnell's pen near the Farmland Road end. Those pens were all on the one side of that street in Rutherglen. There was also two pens down Chapel Street in the 1950s, and of course there was Mitchell Street pen off the main street taking you into Mitchell Street, and today, which still survives, the Berlini Pen in Stonelaw Road. And um, there were many more pens than that. You know, I can ramble on. There was mm. a there was a pen uh, 
in the main street on the south side near Boots the Chemist called Murdoch's Pen and uh, Peter Murdoch he was a dairyman mm. I'm talking the 1860s you know and I could elaborate yeah. there was others the Berlini pen that I have just mentioned mm. up Stoneau Road right. is a pen that's left right. those two pens down in a, a Chapel Street one of them was called the Co-Pen the cooperative owned the back building in yeah. that building you know mm. I've passed that passageway in Stoneau Road hundreds of times and didn't know it was called a pen David also mentioned cushy stones, which I believe are hard-wearing stones, sometimes used for paving, a bit like cobblestones. Then again, another thing came in my mind, eh, talking about that time and period. Eh, cast iron, eh, Victorian drinking fountains. You know, in the early 50s, there were still two, eh, two cast iron Victorian drinking spouts. They were situated at either side of the main street, one at the corner of Mill Street and the other at the corner of Stonelaw Road. These spouts had cast iron cups which were attached to a chain and the chain was attached to the spout. But my mother never allowed us to use the cups. Uh, you know, you could have a drink out if you pressed the button the spout came up and you had a drink. Mm. But the cups were quaint, they were cast iron on a chain and the chain attached mm. to that. And I, I remember these. In fact, I can even remember one being in Overton Park and there was one and possibly two in the cemetery in Mill Street. Everybody in those days drank water. You know, buying ginger costs money and as kids we grew up and, heck, if we went anywhere, we felt a ginger bottle with water, cold yeah. water. We couldn't afford ginger, <laughs> if you want the truth. Yes. Or it was a luxury when you got it. The website Memorial Drinking Fountains tells us that Rutherglen's Jubilee Fountain was originally erected at the west end of the main street, at the Gushet, in 1897 to celebrate Queen Victoria's Diamond Jubilee. Due to the increasing presence of the motor car, it was relocated to Overton Park in 1911 to accommodate traffic flow. It was registered as a Category B listed building in 1974. It had, as David said, Four drinking cups, suspended by chains. Talking about cast iron and Victorian, i got another great wee bit to tell you. You know, I don't know how many people remember this, but the last ever red Victorian post box in Rutherland with the inscription VR was situated at Farham Cross, outside the post office at the corner of Farmland Road and Lloyd Street. It was removed sometime in the 1960s. Oh, yeah. And I remember taking note and being aware with the VR, mm -hmm. you would still see it yep. in some places. And it was the last Victorian postbox that we ever had. That's amazing. Yeah. Aye, quite amazing. <laughs> the VR on those postboxes stood for Victoria Regina. They were erected during Queen Victoria's reign between 1853 and 1901. Again, I gave mention there about the Modal Lodging House. The Modal Lodging House was at 129 King Street and it was erected by Rutherland Town Council in 1910 and it consisted of two large buildings, one behind the other. They were connected to each other by a passageway from the front building 
to the back building. So you didn't have to leave the front building to get to the back building. The front hall, I clearly remember, was four storeys high and the back one was five storeys high. Municipal model lodging houses were established in Glasgow in the 1870s to provide superior hostel accommodation for travelling workers and others who had often had no option in the past but to sleep in overcrowded, privately owned common lodging houses with primitive facilities and hygiene standards. Other boroughs, including Rutherglen, followed Glasgow's lead. You know, not all the men who lived in the model were destitute. Some men actually had jobs, but in those days, rarely did a man live by himself, rather than live by themselves and run a home of their own and do their own cooking, etc, etc. They preferred to live in the model, where they would get their meals made for them and have the company of lots of other men. So who, who ran these places then? The council mm. ran, the Rutherland Council right. ran their own model lodging house. Right. You know, and the, you paid a fee, you had to pay a fee mm. to, to live in the model lodging house, which was minimum. Yep. So that may have been another reason why there were actually some men that I know for a fact um, lived in them and mm -hmm. worked. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, as I say, it saved them cooking. It saved them uh, men in those days, I wouldn't imagine, would have been too uh, keen to do house cleaning sure. the way us men today <laughs> uh, are capable of handling such situations. Yes, yes indeed. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. um, so... Mm. And I, I, I'll tell you a wee quick story about the Model Lodging House, mm -hmm. I remember. In 1955, my little pal's dad... Oh, by the way, the Model Lodging House closed in 1956. Mm -hmm. That's how I know exactly when this, this occurrence was. So but, what's there now then, in that side? In that side, the, the, the Lodging House closed in 1956, mm -hmm. but the two buildings remained there and were used by a company called Dunlop and Jack, they made toilet rolls, would you believe? Right. Mm -hmm. They made toilet rolls and uh, they moved into that. Over the next couple of years, the second one, the tallest one, five storeys, was demolished. Mm -hmm. They obviously only needed the front one, four storeys high. But women worked in that and were employed in that, making toilet rolls. And I'm sure Ruglorians remember that quite clearly, probably into the 70s or maybe even a wee bit later. Yeah. I'm Carrick MacDonald, and you're listening to Halfway to Borough, the Two Towns local history show on Cam Glen Radio. In this fourth programme in the series about Rutherglen in the 1950s, David Jackson is sharing with me some of his recollections of life in the town at that time. But anyway, the wee story. Um, in 1955, my little pal's dad, you see, um, he came home late one night, definitely the worst for drink, you see? Mm. And it was quite late, it was certainly late. And um, the story goes that um, his wife refused to unlock the door. I'm not letting you in, <laughs> she says. And as my little friend told me, my dad had to go to the motor lodging house <laughs> for a kip that <laughs> night, you know? Mm. And I thought, well, I'll tell you, I'm quite sure he learned his lesson and that never happened again. <laughs> As I say, mm. the Model Lodging House closed in April 1956. Right across from 
The lodging house in King Street, 129, as I said, was the, the back end of Rutherglen Churchyard. What I do know is the fact that the last ever burial in the churchyard took place on the 11th of July, 1955. Now, there's a great wee fact, because people were being buried there, Ruglonians mm. from the 12th century. Mm -hmm. You know, and I might add in that uh, my ancestors, which I may have mentioned before, I come, my Jacksons come from, are long-standing in Rutherglen, mm -hmm. and I can trace them back to 1748. My own children are 12th generation Ruglonians. Yeah. And uh, my ancestors are buried there. I even know the layers. 1412 and 1413, mm -hmm. which is just behind the monument uh, to Dr. Gorman in the main street yes. in that area. There may have been a headstone in days gone by, but there isn't one now. But anyway, the last burial took place, not my family, the last ever person, on the 11th of July, 1955. And would you believe it's only the other day, February 2018, that he was talking to Joe McCabe, who was born in Queen Street in 1944 and still resides there in that same street to this day. And Joe often talks about witnessing the last funeral. What age would he have been? He would only have been 11, mm. but he saw it. He would be an 11-year-old boy and he still tells the tale. Yeah. It's a tale he often spins because he's probably the only man in Rutherland mm. that can see I saw the last funeral in the churchyard. Yeah. On the subject of burials, David's got a great anecdote about Bobby the Bricket Man. Anyway, Bobby died. 30 years later, somebody, and somebody gets the house, council house, then they buy it and sell it, and another man buys the house. Mm. And the man that buys the house is a man I brought up at the top of the road, Billy Kerr. Right. So Billy decides the back garden, can he really do up the house? Mm -hmm. So, up downstairs. So he... he He's going to level out the whole of the back garden and, and he's doing these these uh, stone pavings Aye. throughout the whole garden. Right. And he's got a garden and it's nice and tidy. Mm -hmm. So he starts to level the garden. This is 30 years after Bobby's dead. Mm -hmm. starts to uh, uh, level out all the garden, which is... And he um, finds a corpse. Really? Bobby's horse was buried in the back garden. It must have died in that stable. Really? Back in the 50s, nobody knew, he never told anybody, yes. and he's buried the horse in the back garden of a council house. Mm -hmm. 30 years later, there's the, the horse's skeleton Goodness. was found. Wow. And that's the kind of man he was. He was a character. Again, while I'm on about the churchyard, I have to tell you about the last bell ringer, talking about the churchyard. I can tell you the story about Jimmy Clements, Jimmy Clements resided in my street at number six Black Falls Road. Jimmy was a campanologist. He was Rutland's last bell ringer. He rang the bell in the old steeple in the churchyard, officially known as St Mary's Steeple, between the years 1947 and 1959. Jimmy rung the steeple bell every night except Sunday. At 10 o'clock at night, he rang at 10 o'clock at night, which was the curfew hour of days gone by when people went scurrying indoors. Jimmy also had to ring the town hall bell, but that only happened twice a year, at New Year and on Election Day. At New Year, he told the old year out and the new year in, and on Election Day, 
Jimmy had to ring the bell at 7am in the morning to start the voting and again at 9 o'clock at night in the evening to end the voting. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I knew Jimmy well as a wee boy. Mm. Wee small, hefty man. Yep. Quiet, very reserved man. A lovely man. Mm. You know, and... You know, can you believe that? I talk about the, the chim my chimney sweep living Aye, in my street. Now I'm telling you about the bell ringer yeah. living in my street. You know. It's quite a street. <laughs> yeah. I can remember his daughter Moira very well. And she, she used to do the needful on the rare occasions when her dad fell ill. Mm -hmm. Moira had to do the bell ringing. Oh. Uh, Moira moved away. I don't know where she moved away to, but mm -hmm. they moved on. And of course, Jimmy died. Sure. So when when Jimmy died then, that was the end of the bell ringing there then? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, that yeah. was the end of the bell ringing yeah. uh, in the steeple. Sure, you know, sure. I don't know if they, they, they maybe we'll still have rung the town hall bell, right. but it was the last of the steeple bell yeah. ringing. But again, um, going back to my early memories, you know, I think about m m my, my route to school, my primary school in Greenhill Road. I started school in January 1952, and my road to school from Black Falls Road was via Beerland's Place, Cathcart Road, Ferry Street, across Mill Street, and up Greenhill Road. That never took any more than 12 minutes. Mm. But the interesting fact was, and I'm talking 1952 and onwards throughout the 50s, the interesting fact was it took me past three large bakery factories all of which employed local women and girls at that time. And it certainly wasn't the women and girls that filled my heart with joy. <laughs> it was the aroma in the air, the strong smell, especially in summer, as a little boy of smelling oat cakes, shortbread and Abernethy biscuits, etc. being made. Um, the first one I passed was John Nairns' Kathkin Bakery which was situated at the bottom of Beerland's Place on the Cathcart Road. They made oat cakes, shortbread and Abernethy biscuits. And as I made my way up Ferry Street, I would then pass James McMurdo's Bakery on the corner of Arnott Street. Their goodies were cake scones and potato scones. Less than five minutes later, I was passing John Patterson's Royal Borough Bakery on Greenhill Road. Again, they made oat cakes, shortbread and Abernethy biscuits. Oh. The summer time was always the best time for getting freebies because when it got really hot in the factories, they would leave the door open to let air in and we kids could nick in and take a few pieces of shortbread or <laughs> oat cakes off the conveyor belt. Yeah. But by the time the conveyor belt mm. moved up to where the women were, they were aware the kids were in <laughs> and they would chase you away. Mm. You know, but it was a fun memory. Yeah. And as I say, in the early 50s, that may have been, they may have been bakeries. By the way, they exported throughout the Commonwealth. Mm. Not McMurdo, but um, uh, John Patterson and John Nairns. These were large factories. Yes. You know, yeah. mm -hmm. and they employed anything between 60 to 80 90, mm -hmm. maybe no, 100 uh, girls Aye. and women, yep. local women. You know, in those days, um, there actually was a fair amount of employment uh, going about. Mm. 
But I'll get to that in a minute. Sure. Because there was another wee novelty in the theme of my childhood when I talk about bakeries. You know, in my childhood and early youth, Gatlin's had a bakery in the back close at 4 Green Bank Street. I might add, that close still exists, but the old bakery is truly long gone. Mm. They only made morning rolls, and they made them between 6pm and midnight for the next morning. It was a common thing for little gangs of kids, especially in the winter nights, maybe coming from the Bandy Hope and the Borough School. Mm -hmm. We would go there, and for one penny, you could buy a hot, freshly made morning roll, and we ate them dry and thought it was great. (laughs) One old penny, and we ate them dry, and Mm. we were all happy to go down the road with a warm, freshly made roll. Um, the Gatlins later he, he left that bakery um, and moved to a, they built a new bakery in Bouverie Street mm-hmm. and um, built up a big business one of the sons actually married the Joke Steen, the Celtic manager's daughter, right. John mm-hmm. but uh, they moved away You know, mm. I don't know what happened but they moved away as well yeah. I'm Carrick MacDonald and you've been listening to Halfway to Butter the Two Towns Local History Show on Cam Glen Radio. Thanks to David Jackson for his contribution to this programme about Rutherglen in the 1950s and to Zen Boyd of Rutherglen Heritage Centre for her help and support. Thanks also to the Glasgow Story website. The music was by Sugar Nifty. If you've got any comments on this programme or you've got some ideas for future local history programmes, please contact me by email history at camglenradio.org I hope you enjoyed that programme and that you can join me again next time. Until then, bye-bye. Sadly, David Jackson passed away unexpectedly on the 3rd of November 2020. David was the font of all knowledge when it came to the history of Rutherglen. A proud Raglonian and a well-kent figure around the town, he'll be greatly missed. Radio is an amazing medium. It can inspire, entertain, inform and connect people. This station, Cam Glen Radio, is run by a dedicated, passionate and committed team of volunteers and you can be one of those volunteers too. It doesn't matter if you're an experienced broadcaster or if you've never set foot in a studio in your life. We provide all the training and support that you need to do what you want to do. And it's a great way of making new social connections, learning new skills, expanding on your CV and just having loads of fun. So to find out more about volunteering with Cam Glen Radio, just email volunteering at healthynhappy.org.uk. You're listening to Press Pause on Cam Glen Radio. This is a programme that focuses on nature sounds to promote relaxation and mindfulness. For the next half an hour, you'll hear the sounds of Dune Ponds Nature Reserve.